With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to One Mother's Voice. I'm your host, Wister Johnson. For nearly 16 years, I struggled with having a son in prison. After his untimely death, I dedicated myself to educating other mothers and families about criminal justice issues, policies, and effects that can negatively impact the lives of so many. Join me now. Hi, welcome to One Mother's Voice. I'm your host, Wister Johnson. I'm glad you could be back with me this week, um, if it's your first time. Um, I hope that you'll be uh, enjoyed this week's show. Um, I've been really excited this week about the person that we're putting in our spotlight. Um, he's been all over the news. He has a new book that's out, and he's been uh, written up in The Intelligencer and The Guardian. He's been on the Gail King uh, news program. So there's been a lot of, lot of talk about his latest book. And his name is Benjamin Lloyd Crump. Now, you may be familiar with him from, if not by his name, you definitely probably have seen his his face because he's been the face for um, a lot of families, the Trayvon, the family of Trayvon Martin, uh, the family of 12-year-old Tamir Rice, who was shot by police um, several years ago. Um, he's also was more recently uh, was the, represented the family of Botham John, who was was shot in his home by a police officer Amber Geiger, who was uh, recently sentenced to ten years for his for his killing. Uh, what has gotten a lot of gotten him in the news this week was a new book that he's got out, and it's called Open Season, and it has a very controversial subtitle, which we'll talk about uh, briefly. Um, and it's called, it says, Legalized Genocide of Colored People. So I want to start by just giving a little bit of background about him. Um, I actually saw him on Book TV a couple of weeks ago. That's how I found out about the book and was really impressed with his presentation to an audience at the Boston Book Festival. So, of course, I went out and I got his book and read it. And I tell you, it's a good read. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more specifically about the book um, towards the end of, of, of the segment. Um, he was born in uh, a little town in North Carolina called Lumberton, Georgia, and um, which is somewhere near Fort Bragg. Um, his father was in the Army, and his mother at the time was working for actually a Converse uh, sneaker factory. And um, he... He was the oldest, or he is actually the oldest of nine siblings, and uh, and he as he said, step siblings. So what really, uh, as a young child, he had a pretty good uh, upbringing in in the South, uh, very close to his mother, and at one point raised by his grandmother. But he had a couple of incidents that were the first glimpse or gave him the first um, indication that 
there was some sort of injustice uh, that was surrounding him and his community. Um, and the first one was that um, he had an uncle who uh, was beaten up by the police primarily and only because he had uh, gotten admission into what was formerly an all-white college. Um, and the second incident that uh, that affected him greatly when he was young was that his mother, he had won a contest, an essay contest, and his mother had requested from her supervisor that she'd get the day off so she could attend, as most most mothers would, and she refused to do it. So as a result of that, his mother got fired from her job because she insisted on being there for her son. Um, and after that, she just ended up working primarily uh, cleaning cleaning uh, hotel rooms and working in the tobacco fields. Um, so it's a little bit about his, his, his upbringing. Um, so his new book, as I told you, is called Open Season. And in it, he attributes his decision to enter law um, to Thurgood Marshall, uh, who was the uh, first African-American associate justice on the Supreme Court. Because um, at the time, uh, this was back in the 1950s, um, there was, there was of course, legal segregation in the South in schools and in also in public facilities. And it was Thurgood Marshall and his team who brought a suit in, in, in the uh, court that ent- ended up eventually before the Supreme Court that eventually ruled that uh, schools could no longer be segrega- segregated, uh, but also that public facilities would not be segregated. So that was that was really what inspired him a great deal because he was an admirer of Thurgood Marshall's. Um, so from that time on, he has dedicated, he d- decided to dedicate himself to be an advocate for social justice, for racial justice, and economic justice for those uh, people he describes as colored. Now, that's not a term that we hear used a lot for African Americans, so, but he explains uh, what the term means for him. And for him, he's t- colored. Colored are all black and brown people, but also other people who he says are quote-unquote colored by their experiences because of their either their sexual preferences, um, their religious beliefs, or their gender, or anyone who, as he's, this is his statement, who is not a white man. Um, so he's a really high-profile lawyer, um, but one of the things that impressed me about him was that when I heard him speaking um, to the audience, which was which was really like 99% white at the Boston Book Festival, he has a very, uh, he speaks with a lot of authority about the, the issues in criminal justice and in American society in general in terms of um, implicit bias and racism. But he has such a way of presenting the facts to you that the audience was thoroughly engaged with him. And sometimes that's difficult to do because um, he's, he's not an Al Sharpton type. Al Sharpton, Al Sharpton, um, Reverend Al Sharpton uh, is, his, is a little more bombastic and more kind of in your face, but that is not his style. But he, I think that he is equally as effective. So, um, again, he really became, he had been doing, uh, sort of representing uh, all kinds of people who 
were the victims of some kind of injustice. And in a minute, I'll share a few of those uh, cases that he's done uh, with him, uh, with you in a minute. Um, he has also been, he has, uh, his law firm not only deals with criminal justice issues, but they also do all kinds of other um, law as well. Um, and he's been cited um, by many, many organizations. In fact, when I went to his webpage, he had something like over 35 awards from various organizations. So um, behind the scenes, uh, he he's very, very, very critical of the role that uh, that the legislat- legislators, um, the prosecutors, and that law enforcement, um, and even our nation's court system, um, he criticized them for promoting uh, unequal justice um, in in the criminal justice system and in just about almost every other aspect of American life. Um, but he focuses on what happens when a segment of a population is consistently denied access to fair treatment under the law and in most every other aspect of their lives. And generally, that's um, African Americans in, in the United States. So I'm going to give you a couple of outtakes from the book because I think they probably will give you more of an idea of the kind of work that he does. So his work is not only with families who are victims of some sort of police shooting, but he has represented, um, in one case, uh, voter, voter registration workers in the South who were accused of vote, voter fraud. So... Um, but I want to get back to the term genocide. One of the questions that he says that people have been asking him about uh, frequently is why use the term genocide? We generally think about genocide uh, in terms of countries like Rwanda, where, where millions of people were slaughtered, um, or also in uh, under Nazi Germany. But he is very specific about uh, geno- using that term for what's happening, particularly with African African Americans in the United States. So to 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 support this belief, he refers to something that was called the Genocide Convention, and that was something that was adopted under the United Nations General Assembly way back in 1948. And so I'm going to read the definition, their definition of genocide, which he feels applies to uh, African Americans. So they define genocide as the killing members of a national, um, ethical, racial... With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A religious group with the intent to destroy them. And then it says, but according to the convention, genocide is not limited to just killing. It is also genocide to cause serious bodily harm or mental harm to members of the group and to deliberately inflict on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction. And so he says that genocide describes what transpires between the U.S. judicial system and this country's colored people. 
and he argues that, in effect, the judicial system in this country targets, whether consciously or not, black and brown people and robbing them on every level, including in the end of their very lives. The physical, financial, mental, and even spiritual deaths can be evidenced in newspaper articles, numerous studies, and courtrooms, and on the streets of our impoverished neighborhoods. You can see them in our prison populations, our schools, and our communities that are in need of health care. It's legalized genocide because the system legitimizes over and over again these injustices. Technical reasons are always found for their legality. So he's been quite uh, quite uh, articulate about describing what what genocide is. So just to give you an idea, I want to give you an idea of some of the cases that that he has been um, involved with, and they run the spectrum. In the book, he has many, many, many more. I will tell you, um, after reading them, I know that most of us are familiar with the really high-profile cases, again, the Trayvon Martins, the Michael Browns, the Sandra Blands, but in his book, because of the uh, the variety of ways that African Americans are either killed or uh, or fair, treated unfairly um, in 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 many aspects, from being arrested to uh, even to defending themselves. So the the first the first um, uh, uh, incident that I want to talk about was really kind of upsetting. And this is an incident that involved a 80-year-old black man whose name was Isaac Singletary, and he was from Jacksonville, Florida, and everybody in the neighborhood called him Pops. So it seems that back in uh, January of 2007, that when he came out of his house, he saw two men who were standing outside on the lawn who he perceived to be uh, drug dealers, um, and evidently he lived in what is a high crime neighborhood. And so um, he had moved to that neighborhood to take care of his sick mother and a sister. And so he had been familiar with uh, people coming on his property or near his property selling drugs. So anyway, he came out on the lawn. He yelled at them, the two men, to get off. And normally the drug dealers would leave um, because everybody in the neighborhood knew that, you know, his property was not the place to be if you were going to do something illegal. But in this instance, it did not happen. The two men refused to move, and it turns out that they were undercover police officers who were um, doing a sting operation to sell drugs to to, to addicts. So um, when he asked them to move, they never identified themselves as police officers um, and just basically refused to leave his property. So, of course, he doesn't know this. He goes back in his house. Um, he comes out with uh, with a weapon, and he threatens that you know if they don't get off his property, that he will, uh, you know, that he will shoot them. And in his mind, he he had every right because remember, Florida is a stand your ground law, so he was felt that he was quite within his rights um, to to you know to to uh, point a gun at them to get them off. But instead of, um, but what happened was exactly the opposite of what was intended. Instead of scaring them off the property, they ended up shooting him, um, and he died on the spot. So uh, when this case was taken to court, even though Singletary was a, was within his rights under the stand your ground law, um, the 
the two gentlemen um, were never charged with any crime, um, and in fact, that he they were never uh, never had to pay for what uh, Trump considers a real injustice. And so his his uh, uh, what he feels is that even when we're in the right, we can end up being killed or being or having our lives taken with no consequence to those who took it. So that was one one case. Um, the other case is a case of a young man by the name of, of Michael Giles. And this one was really uh, one that was I, just unbelievable. So it seems that Michael Giles, he was a, a black active duty airman. And so he, uh, he went out one night with his friends um, from, the, uh, from an air base in Tampa, Florida. And so he went to, down to, to the Florida A&M that they had a party. So when he was at the party, he was, a, he was attacked in the nightclub by a couple of people who were unknown to him. There was some sort of brawl going on with a lot of people. So uh, later his attackers would, his attackers would uh, acknowledge that he had, uh, one of the attackers said that he had had a desire to, um, to knock somebody out, the next person he saw. So it happened to be, um, unfortunately, that was Michael Giles. So um, because he was in fear of his life and he tried to free himself, um, he fired his weapon. Giles fired his weapon. So the bullet struck the other, the assailant in the leg. um, And because Giles, he was a a marksman, he was a military marksman. Um, He had no criminal background and his intent was not to cause fatal injury. um, And so in fact, he... Uh, attacker was released from the hospital that night. But despite the fact that he was attacked, that he was defending himself, um, again, under Florida's standard ground law, he ended up being sentenced to 25 years in prison for shooting someone who had originally attacked him. And a lot of this was based um, on the judge's discretion. So even though he was the injured party, um, he ended up forfeiting his freedom uh, because of the way he was viewed in the situation as opposed to the person who had initiated the attack. Um, And I have a couple more cases I'm going to tell you about, and then um, uh, we'll move on. Um, The third case was a young man by the name of Christopher Reynolds. And so Christopher Reynolds uh, was, um, hold on, I want to get to my spot here so I can give you the accurate information. So anyway, Christopher Reynolds was a young man who was in a meeting uh, with his uh, his boss, and I think he was working for a, a dealership, and he was... He was in the meeting and he was talking, they were just talking back and forth about what should be done. And I think his employer said to him that, you know, that your uh, his employer, who was white, was discussing with the 21-year-old the young man. Um, I'm sorry, the victim was a young man by the name of Hoskins, Ernest Hoskins. So it was a uh, just a regular meeting. A business meeting, and so his boss was complaining to him that sales were low, and so the young black man Hoskins he told 
he said something back to his boss that he needed to get off the couch and so he needed to contribute as well. So I understand that there was this back and forth between the two of them. And shortly after that, now this is the white uh, business owner, uh, he picks up a, a forty four Magnum pistol and he pointed it at uh, Hoskins' head. Um, they continued to, you know, sort of back and forth, go back and forth for about a minute. Um, and Reynolds says, and this was a shooter, I pulled the trigger and the gun did not go off. I then pulled the side back and a round went in the chamber. I tried to decock the hammer on the pistol by pulling the trigger and holding the hammer as it moved forward. The gun then went off and struck Ernest in the face. I put the gun back up and called 911. Um, and so... The uh, Haskins, who was a newlywed, he was a, a, a young father-to-be, he was shot and killed on the spot. Reynolds, the shooter, was not arrested immediately. And uh, finally, but eventually, I think 15 days later, he was arrested and charged um, with the shooting. And he ended up with getting a single count of manslaughter, uh, which means that he could be out of jail in three years for shooting a young man in the face at a business meeting who was unarmed and other than sort of a back-and-forth conversation um, was. So in any event, he, uh, so with good behavior, it says here that he will be eligible for poll in two and a half years. And, of course, there will be no, uh, you know. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hoskins will never again walk the face of this earth. So the final incident was a little bit different. Um, this was really interesting. Um, and these are all cases that Crump has been involved with. And this involves a, a voter registration woman, a 50-year-old woman called Judy Ann uh, Committee. And so she was at home one day, and she hears this banging on her front door. And she goes to the door, and in comes a police officers and FBI agents with their guns drawn. They arrest her. They search her house. And she's like, you know, why are you here? What are you doing? I mean, you know, she, you know, she had not, she hadn't been involved in a crime. Um, and it turns out that she, uh, that she was arrested for voter fraud. Now, how did that come about? Because they were trying, there was this race. There was a race in their county, in Madison County, um, in Florida between a black woman and I think it was an incumbent 
and the black woman, they were sort of neck and neck, and they were trying to get the black vote out. So as part of this um, uh, Judy Ann uh, committee, she and a couple of her other co-workers, uh, voter registration personnel, were going out to have people fill out the ballots and then bring them back. As it turns out, that was a uh, it was a procedural error that they weren't allowed they weren't allowed to do that. But it was not a criminal offense. But as it turned out, these uh, women that they were uh, considered having uh, having um, committed uh, fraud. And so they arrested them. And some of the people, the women they arrested were nurses and teachers. They never had any trouble with the law. Um, so they became known as the Madison Nine. And so it turns out that um, they were facing a furious felony charge and some, some real jail time. And so the, 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 uh, the, what uh, Crump argued was that, you know, they should not, that was not a crime, basically, and so they should be not. But they went through an awful lot before eventually um, that their, their uh, you know, they were arrested, they were taken to the police station, they were booked, they were fingerprinted, and they had to make bail, their pictures were in the paper, um, and that they uh, quite often, uh, police officers, when they were getting statements about the women, would, would draw their guns on people who were potential witnesses. So they originally offered them a plea bargain, and uh, they were charged with violation of the Florida statute, uh, which criminalizes conduct that perpetrates fraud in connection with any vote. But as it turns out, um, they eventually were cleared of that charge, um, but their lives were um, actually uh, very much disrupted, and it's very traumatic for them. And, of course, they did not do any jail time, but they really experienced a lot of um, uh, you know, harassment. Um, um, from it, as it turns out, that the the black woman who was running against the incumbent, she actually won by a slim margin. But then, because of this incident, there was a question about the legitimacy of her win, and so um, she was the governor. Uh, she was not able to serve the term until this was cleared up, and she ever never really went back into uh, to you know she never ran again. Let's put it that way. So those are just some of the things that he talks about in his book. Um, so it seems, you know, I was you would think that a man who was constantly um, dealing with tragedy and and injustice and seeing how uh, how rigged the system could be, even when people are in the right or people of colored people are in the right, that um, he would be very. Um, what's the word, uh, very discouraged and disheartened, but he is not like that at all. And a lot of that he attributes to his, uh, to his, uh, Christian faith. Um, and he's certainly, um, and he's really optimistic about the future. But again, I, I don't think we realize that when, uh, these people stand out, stand in the gap for us in the public eye when you have people like Al Sharpton and, and Crump who are faces that, you know, people recognize. It is all, it isn't all loves and kisses and roses. Um, while, you know, in many quarters they're admired for the work that they do, they're also, it's a very dangerous position to be in. Um, because there are people who don't like the the advocacy work that he does. Um, there's one white ring, white 
right wing publication. Um, it's some publication, online publication called the People's Pundit Daily. Um, they've been saying that he needs to be disbarred because, um, you know, because of the, the uprising in Ferguson. And they claim he has been, quote unquote, inciting riots. And there's another publication that I looked up online and it's actually called the, oh, oh my God, what was this called? The, the uh, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but um, it's a really nasty site, and it's really far, far to the right. Um, and they describe him as a uh, a race hustler, none of which describe this man who is very dignified and who carries himself uh, quite well. But it's a dangerous, you know, it's dangerous. I would not be surprised if he has not received death threats. So I think that, again, you know, most of us, you know, he gets awards and people are patting him on the back. But, um, you know, again, um, I just think that it's it's wonderful that, you know, people are dedicate their lives to, you know, bringing justice. So despite all the violence and the tragedy and the antagonism, um, he really is a man of deep faith. Um, he's very optimistic about America's future. Um, even though he's not naive enough because he was asked on the Gail King show by one of the white um, co-anchors, um, well, you know, just, you know, things aren't going to change in the night. What can people do? And he says that he believes that we're all responsible to fight for equal justice and equal protection under the law in any way that we can, whether it's on your job or whatever your work might be, that this is something that, that he can't do alone, that um, we all have to be willing to participate. Um, so again, he's, he, again, he's very articulate, very warm, um, but very serious about the work that he does. So I want to talk very briefly about his accomplishments. Um, he's married to, uh, an educator, Dr. Janae Crump. Um, he's the father of a daughter. Her name is Brooklyn Zeta Crump, and he's the guardian for two. He has two adopted sons. Um, he's the president and the co-founder of a mentoring program for fathers called My Dad 360. And these are just a few of the things. I mean, if you go to his website, his law, legal firm's website, um, he's a member of the Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, the NAACP, and the Urban League. Um, also, he's received more than 35 awards, including the Freedom Award from the National Civil Rights Museum, the Eleanor Roosevelt Medallion of Honor from Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority, the Whitney Young Award from the National Urban League, the NAACP Thurgood Marshall Award, and he's a member of the National Bar Association and the American Bar Association. So, um, again, the book I this week on my web at my blog, <laughs> uh, which you can reach at WisterJohnson.com. If you want to learn more about what's in the book, um, I, I, I wrote a piece about that. But it also will give you some links to some of the appearances that he's made recently. And you can actually see a segment of his speech, his talk at the Brooklyn, I'm sorry, at the Brooklyn, at the Boston Book Fair. So again, kudos to Benjamin Crump. And uh, he, as he continues, he's a relatively young man. He's only 50. So I guess he'll be around for a long time protecting our rights. So, again, the book is uh, Open Season. It's, it's called Legalized Genocide Against Coloreds, Colored People. So if you get a chance, pick it up at your local library or as an audio book 
or um, again, you can go to Amazon.com and order it as well. So that's it. We're going to take a, a brief break, musical break, and then I'll be back to talk about the importance of keeping in contact with one, a loved one who is incarcerated. And we'll be right back. Hi, welcome to part two of One Mother's Voice. Um, I'm this. The topic for this segment is about the importance of keeping in contact with uh, people, those who are incarcerated. And one of the things that we do know is that um, it's really important that that uh, someone who's locked up um, and generally far away from their families and friends and from their communities that we keep in touch with them. And it's for a good reason. One, because it boosts their morale. It keeps them in touch with what's going on with their families. They still feel a part of something. Um, and the other reason is that uh, research has shown that, that those people who do receive uh, continued contact with his books, letters, mails, visits, they end up causing less trouble in the prisons, um, but they also do better when they come out. Uh, because it can be very lonely. Um, I know that when my son was incarcerated, I quite often would think about the, you know, when we would have a family affair that he was not there and I would be thinking about him on the 4th of July or Christmas or whatever the holiday was and realizing that those times are particularly difficult. But again, what we know about a lot of the prisons and the jails, that they're not wonderful places to be. And so they can be very dehumanizing. And so anything that we can do to sort of keep that link going for them is great. So I'm just, this is a little bit of a, a tip segment. So I want to talk about, again, again, I said the importance of getting mail to uh, mail uh, or photographs and books and things to inmates, but talk a little bit about what you need to avoid and I just really found out within the last week that there are the scams out there where they people will tell you there will be services that seem legitimate that will say, you know, send us your letters and we will and you you know, you pay a fee, which is probably a lot more than you would pay if you sent them yourself, and that these people do exactly what you would do. They'll take your letters, print them out and send them off through the regular mail and the inmate may not inmate may or may not get them um in a much more timely, probably will not get it any faster than if you had put it in just a regular post yourself. So you want to be careful for, careful of that. But just a few tips about, uh, one, be careful of the scams, but also that some things that you should never do when you're sending a letter, um, because there, there are a lot of 
some things that can cause a letter to be rejected. So first of all, you don't ever want to have any staples or paper clips on the letters. Um, you can't use markers or crayon or glitter or glue or stickers or lipstick. You can't sort of scent it with perfume. Um, they can't have any drawings on it or markings that um, the jail personnel might uh, perceive as a secret code or a secret message um, and then refuse it. Um, and again, of course, it makes sense that never write anything in a letter that you wouldn't want uh, a third party to read, in this case, the correctional officers. Um, when you're sending photos, Again, there's also the scam that they ask you to upload your photos. And, of course, they will take the photos, stick them in an envelope, and send them off. So if you can do some of this stuff yourself, um, it's probably better for you and cheaper. Um, you don't need to pay someone to do something that, that you can do yourself. So, again, uh, prison facilities have these rules. And, again, the, the most important thing I want to say is to check with the particular facility that the person is in because they may have even more specific uh, things that you can and cannot do in terms of sending packages. So if you're going to send photos, um, it seems that they should be no longer no larger than four, about four inches by six. Um, you should always want to print the inmate's name and their ID number on the back of the picture. Um, so this will help the mail staff because they don't necessarily know who you are. Um, of course, you should never send any pictures that are that have any sexual suggestions, any nude pictures or the like. Um, <laughs> and uh, hand gestures and tattoos are not often allowed in pictures because of a possible gang affiliation. Um, and generally, again, this is a general. This again, you need to check with the facility. Um, you can only send five photos in an envelope with a single stamp. And often some facilities will only accept between three and five photos. And again, remember that the staff and the other inmates might be seeing these uh, the photos that you send. Now, in the category of books, um, there is, by the way, an organization called Books, Books Behind Bars. And it's in several cities across the United States. So um, if you want to look them up online, they quite often send, uh, you can request that they send books to inmates. So if you get a chance to look that up, um, do that. But in general, there's certain magazines that are not allowed. Um, and it, again, they, if you go to the specific website for the facility, they will probably tell you the publications that I remember once I was going to see my son and it was a publication called Source or more of a hip hop magazine and I wasn't able to take it uh, into him. So you want to make sure that books, they have to come from the publisher and they have to be new um, and I think it says that and they must be in paperback because if you send a hardback book, they it seems that, that quite often they will be rejected. And, of course, I said if they are used. Um, so it's best that um, if they're not from a, a publisher like Amazon, um, you need to send and you want to send them yourself in a box, they will be rejected. So, again, you should order them through Amazon or, or either, again, the facility like books, um, books behind bars. Um, in terms of, of letter writing, um, you just want to make sure 
Um, if you're not sure of the inmate's mailing address, again, you can go, or his ID number. You always want to put the ID number on it. You want, you can, again, there's a facility listing for most um, state, for jails and for um, prisons, and they will tell you the exact location. Sometimes there's a P.O. box. You have to send it to the P.O. box. Sometimes it's a street address, but you want to be sure that that you do that. Uh, magazines and newspapers have to be ordered the same way as books um, through Amazon. Of course, there are no books like Playboy, Penthouse, Hustler, if they're still publishing. Um, and But you can send books like Field and Stream, Newsweek, etc., so the thing to remember uh, about sending books and magazines or new papers, you can't send more than three at a time. Uh, all books must be new and soft cover and uh, no hardcover books or spiral bound books and always ship through UPS. And so finally, um, we know that, of course, a lot of times inmates will get uh, Christmas cards or birthday cards. And pretty much the same thing applies, that these cards have to be fairly... You can't have any pop-up cards, which I don't know why you would send that to an, to an adult inmate anyway, but um, there can't be any glitter or any marks that are different from just a regular old Christmas card, I guess with a Christmas scene or a Santa or, uh, I guess, a religious theme. Um, so again, if you have any... I'm going to post this information um, at WorcesterJohnson.com with a link where you can actually go to, uh, you know, where I got this information from and see for yourself. So because you want to make sure that whatever you send, because sometimes you can spend money, you know, you're spending your money. Um, same thing with packages. You don't want to, you want to make sure that if you send a package that you can, you know, what you have in it is what they will accept <clears throat> because I've not necessarily had a pack, uh, package that I mail rejected as far as I know, but I have gone to a visit with, uh, for like a weekend visit and had food that was rejected because it wasn't in a particular kind of container. So my advice is to make sure that before you send anything, that you find out what's permittable, what's permitted, what's permissible, what isn't, because you want to make sure that um, it gets to your loved one who is incarcerated. And so that's it for this week. Um, we will be back the week of December the 6th. Um, with another show. So I hope you'll come back and join us then. And uh, again, you can always follow me at, um, at Twitter, at One, at One Mother's Voice on Twitter, and of course, we're on Facebook. Um, but the easiest way is go to WisterJohnson.com and find out all the exciting things I'm doing. So um, again, I hope you join me again uh, in two weeks. And that's it for this week. Well, that's it for this week. If you have questions or comments, send them to me at omvforyou at gmail.com. And make sure to follow me at One Mother's Voice on Facebook and Twitter. Until the next time, remember, to know more is to do more.